Hey, good evening, everybody. It is April 18th, 2020, and uh, I hope you're all doing well. Hope you had a good day. I am looking forward to seeing, seeing you all here someday. I'm in week two. I'm sorry, I'm in week three of my time on the slope. Everything's going good. Um, yeah, so I'll get right into it. We're going to read Matthew chapter 18 tonight. And looks like there's one, two, three, four, five sections. First section is called, Who is the Greatest? Second section is called, Temptations to Sin. Third section is called The Parable of the Lost Sheep. And the fourth section is called If Your Brother Sins Against You. And the last section is called The Parable of the Unforgiving Servant. Ooh, I think there's going to be some forgiveness in chapter 18. Okay. <clears throat> Chapter 18, first section, who is the greatest? Verse, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one, one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Next section, Temptations to Sin. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Okay, you guys, got to stop right there. Jesus does not want you to hurt yourself in any way. Well, Jesus really wants you to hurt yourself. He is using a tool here called hyperbole, sometimes shortened as the term hype. He is using hyperbole to weigh, to, to exaggerate, um, to exaggerate a concept so far beyond what's rational, it's 
irrational or silly or just it's just strikingly nothing you'd ever do only to prove a point though hyperbole can be a very good tool to prove points so what he's saying here if there's any part of your life that causes you to sin you got to get that thing out of your life no matter what it takes even if it takes even if it comes to something so extreme that you can't even imagine doing it you need to do it and thus he he makes the memorable statements of cutting off a hand or a foot or popping out your eye because who would ever do that nobody wants to separate with that with a with a body part you use all the time i mean that's just how could that ever happen how could you ever choose to do that but that's jesus's point no matter how much it hurts or how how reluctant you are to want to separate from that thing that's causing you to sin in your life you still need to do it that's how bad sin is that's how damaging it is so anyways Jesus never wants you to hurt yourself God never wants you to hurt yourself but Jesus wants us to remember his word and remember the concepts within his word that sin is bad and it's worth getting out of your life at all cost, at all worldly cost. That's what he's trying to say. And he wants us to learn that even to the point of using hyperbole that we have to interpret and make sure we understand. So, I never want you kids to hurt yourselves on purpose. Got it? I want to, I want to, everybody to shake their heads right now. Got it, daddy. Got it. I can't see you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're shaking your head yes or no or sleeping or playing with your stuffy or Legos or poking. Never mind. I don't know what you're doing, but just understand that. So, okay, next section. The parable of the lost sheep. Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Stop right there. Kiddos, did you hear that? Jesus is talking about kids who believe in him. Who believe he says who he is. And let's see what he says about you who believe in him. He says, don't despise one of these little ones. So don't do anything bad. Don't hate kids even if they're needy and are a lot of work and maybe annoying sometimes maybe feel like they're a burden this is that he's saying that to the adults but older kids can feel the same way about younger kids see that you do not despise one of these little ones 
And check this next statement out. Think about this. For I tell you that in heaven their angels, yes, apparently little kids have angels that are assigned to them and watch over them, always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Whoa. We could think about that one for a long time. We could probably study that too. Little kids have angels who can see the face of God the Father who is in heaven. Now, another thing we can study sometime is what do angels do for kids who believe, for adults that believe? What is What are the jobs of angels? Let's study that sometime, maybe when I get home. Somebody remember that, okay? Because it's really cool to think about angels looking after us or doing whatever. Okay. Very cool. Super, super cool what God has to say about us. If your brother sins against you, that's the next section. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, this could be your brother or your sister. Jesus is just saying brother. If your brother sins against you, punch him in the nose. Oh, wait. Nope. Jesus did not say that. Scream and whine and make a big fuss. No, Jesus didn't say that either. Okay, I'll start over. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Whoa, those were two really bad things. Verse 18. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Okay, those are some really big statements there, you guys. If your brother sins against you, tell him what he did. If he won't listen to you, take a couple other people and say, Hey, this is a bad thing you did. I need you to confess and say you're sorry and make up for it. And then, in your case, if he still, or she, still refuses to listen, you go tell mommy. Anyways, that'll mean more to you as adults. All right, last section. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. 
And Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's just say it's dollars, $10,000. A lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and a payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's a really big deal. If somebody borrows a bunch of money from you or owes you because you work for them, or, yeah, and they forgive the debt. You forgive the debt that somebody owes you. That is such a big deal. What if mommy or daddy owed you $100 and, or, or you owed me $100 cuz I bought you something and I said, "Um, uh, that's okay. You don't have to pay it back. I forgive that debt." That's a big deal. Especially with $10,000. Okay, verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred dollars and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Well, that sounds familiar. It's the same thing that servant was asking his master. Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So all my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Oh, I'm sorry. Back to verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Oh my goodness. And that's the end of the chapter. And that is probably one of the biggest verses in the Bible there, you guys. Jesus not saying, yeah, you should probably forgive that person because, you know, that other person forgave you. No, it's not a maybe, might be, well, you probably should. Well, why don't you? There's nothing that's a suggestion in that last verse. 
Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That is huge. Jesus says that his heavenly Father will deliver us to the jailers. I don't know if that means going to hell or being punished in some way. Uh, but we are commanded in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, to forgive our brother or our sister or whoever from our heart. Not just with your mouth, but you have to forgive people from your heart. So you got to understand why, why you need to forgive them, why it's good to forgive people, why you must forgive people. Oh, man, what a big... What a big verse. Okay. That's the end of chapter 18. And I say we just go to bed, brush our teeth and go to bed. I'm tired. Whew. All right. Well, we should probably read a little wing feather, don't you think? Okay. I am going to get a drink of water. So I'm going to hit stop here for a second. I'll be right back. Okay, I got my drink of water. feel a lot better. All right, I'm going to sit here and go through a quick review. I'll try and do it in under a minute. So nobody complain if I spend too long. Okay. All right, so we read chapters 50 and 51. The first one, chapter 50, was called Arendelle. Who was Arendelle? It was the Cloven Queen. Cadwick introduced the boys to the Cloven Queen. And what was the Cloven Queen's shape and form? She was a tree, a live tree. Pretty awesome, huh? And she knew, has been somewhat, and... Let's see, what else here? Um, she talked about remembering who you are, and she asked Kalmar if she remembered who he was, and he said, yes, but it's, it's getting harder to remember. And then she talked about being thrown out all alone, but then her, her true love passing by, and she couldn't even say anything to him and she started weeping and then then she remembered his name and she wailed it into Blackwood over and over and remembering with each cry who she was and what she had become and then Janner asked her what was his name and he already knew the answer somehow and who was it yep it was Artham Artham Wingfeather so then chapter 51, called the Cloven Queen's Council, she was just so sad and worried that she'll never see him again. And then Janner gave her the good news that Artham is still alive. And did that make her happy? Uh-huh. Her leaves shivered with joy, and she raised her eyes to the heavens and made said some kind of prayer. And 
Buds on her upper branches bloomed white and purple in an instant, and she grew more beautiful by the moment. My Artham, she said. <clears throat> so she is just so, so happy to hear that Artham is alive. And then what are her and Cadwick talking about? Something really strange about a dream and a prophecy and a boy coming to Clovenfast and becoming a new a seed for a new garden. Really strange. I don't get it. That's really weird. And Kalmar uh, says, what's that supposed to mean? And nobody, they didn't say too much about that. But Kalmar says, we're going to Throg to stop Neg from doing this anymore before it's too late. And did they say, yeah, go, it's going to be awesome. Go, go, Jewels of Veneria. Did they say that, did the queen say that? No. She said, Throg is a place of madness. It's a black world of untamed cloven and fangs and wretched things. It's no place for the jewels of Veneria. But did the boys change their mind? No, they didn't. He says, we can't go back to the Green Hollows because there's been a big battle and there might not be any home to go back to. So she didn't know that the fangs had invaded. Oh. But she pleads with Janner, Tell your brother this is foolishness. You'll both die in the deeps of Throg. And he says, I'm sorry, your highness. I gotta take care of my little brother. I'm the throne warden. I'm not a seed. I'm with the king, and the king is going to Throg. So, they are single-minded about going to Throg. And they thanked her. And Cad Cadwick asked them one more time, Will you not be swayed from this? Meaning, will you not change your mind? And what does Calmore say? He says, No, sir. And then Cadwick says, Then follow me. Chapter 52 Into the Blackwood. Into the Blackwood. <clears throat> Excuse me. When they made it back to the fort, Ood was seated beside a bonfire reciting poetry to a gathering of cloven who were pretending to enjoy it. He smiled when he saw the boys and limped over to greet them with a roasted toothy cow haunch in one hand. Cloven like Ood's words, he said happily. He waved at the cloven who waved back, visibly relieved that the recital was over. Go get nagged now? Yes, Ood, Kalmar said as he marched straight to the main gate. Go get Nag. Janner jogged to keep up. We, we, the 
Janner jogged to keep up, waving apologetically at the cloven watching them pass. When Kalmar got to the gate, he tugged at it and found it locked. He turned to Cadwick. Are you coming? Yes, Brother Cloven, he said. I would prefer to let you go alone, but Queen Arendelle has asked me to lead you into darkness. First I must bid farewell to my family. I may never see them again. Cadwick fixed them both with a heavy look, then turned to the building where Mother Mungry had tended to Ood. When he reached the door, a feminine cloven with sleek black fur and the head of a quill diggle flung it open and embraced him. Two young cloven clambered around his four legs, and one of them shimmied onto his back. Remember, love, you are Cadwick, blacksmith of Pennybridge. You are in my heart, and my heart will wait for your return. The young ones cooed and gurgled as Elder Cadwick embraced them and kissed their malformed faces. Farewell, children, said Cadwick tenderly. Cling to Kinnon, for she loves you well. Mother Mungry bustled through the door and handed Cadwick a satchel. You'll find balms in there, as well as some cracklings. Is your foot well? My foot? Cadwick asked. Someone's foot was broken, was it not? She poked at one of his hooves. It was the troll, he, Cadwick said with a chuckle. Ah, she looked at Janner. Is your foot well, then? Janner nodded, flexing first one foot and then the other so she could see. Cadwick placed the young ones on the ground, kissed his wife on the forehead, and joined the boys at the gate. Elder Cadwick looked up at a sentry at the top of the wall. Are the cows gone? Yes, sir, for now. Be careful out there, sir. Cadwick nodded. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the gate swung open and they stepped into the tangle of trees. The forest was silent and foreboding, and Janner suddenly wanted to stay. What did they think they were doing? Striking out into a forest of monsters only to sneak into a dungeon of monsters, only to infiltrate the stronghold of a monster so powerful that he basically destroyed the world? It seemed like the height of foolishness, even for a seasoned warrior, more so for two boys who didn't know what they were doing. The walls of Clovenfast were strong and sure, if Nag had been dumping his failed meldings into the wilds all these years, then it seemed he didn't care about the Blackwood or consider it a threat. Maybe the best thing would be to bring Lily and the rest of the family to Clovenfast where they could finally get some peace. But moving and running and hiding was all they had done since they escaped Glipwood. First to Pete's castle then to the ice prairies, then to the green hollows. No matter where they went, Nag the Nameless found them a 
attack them, and in the process hurt everyone around them. Clovenfast would be no different. As they walked, Janner glanced behind him for a glimpse of Clovenfast, but the gate was shut, already hidden by branches and budding leaves. He may as well have been alone in the middle of the Blackwood. It was no wonder the Hollis folk knew nothing about Clovenfast. Maybe Neg didn't know about it either, nor would he. After walking in silence for an hour, the trees grew fatter and the branches fewer. They were following a faint path, probably made by wild animals or cloven, and Janner could tell by the slant of the late afternoon sun that they were heading south. How far is it? he asked. I don't know. Elder Cadwick didn't look at either of the boys as he spoke, but stared straight ahead as if he were walki walking in his sleep. It could be hours or it could be days. I've tried to avoid the southernmost for the southern forest since I remembered my name and hoped I would never have to go back. A foolish hope, it turns out. There was an edge of anger in his voice, and Janner decided not to ask any more questions. You don't have to do this, you know, Kalmar said. We were on our way to Throg before we even knew you existed. We can push on alone. Go back to your family. Cadwick looked over his shoulder in the direction of Clovenfast. He curled his lip and shook his head. The queen has ordered me. I will obey. Well, I'm the king, and I'm ordering you to go back. Kalmar stepped in front of Cadwick and stopped in the middle of the path. We know the entrance to the deeps is south of here. We know it's somewhere at the base of the Kildridge Mountains. We're trained Durgans. You may think we can't care for ourselves, but we made it this far. Go back to your family. Nag has taken enough from you already. Cadwick's tail twitched as he considered Kalmar's words. If indeed your brother is the boy Queen Arendelle prophesied, then he must be kept safe. Janner started to speak up from, for himself, but Kalmar interrupted. We also have a troll on our side. Not many boys can say that. Ooh, smash! The troll said helpfully. Elder Cadwick's front hoof pawed the ground and he adjusted his scabbard. Very well, I'm going back. Really? Kalmar said. I have young ones to care for and a city to protect. I wish you a safe journey. Cadwick turned and clopped back the way he had come. Wait, Janner called. I don't know if this is such a good idea. We might need you. Courage, boy. You have a troll on your side, remember? Cadwick said over his shoulder. Kalmar, stop him. We don't know our way around this forest. Neither does he. He just told us so. Besides, he didn't want to be here, and I don't blame him. But 
But Kalmar was so flummoxed, he couldn't think of what to say. He looked from Kalmar to Cadwick, who was rapidly disappearing into the forest. Then he was gone. And now we're alone, Janner said. Why would you send back the one person in our little band who knows the forest best? Because he scared me, Kalmar said. That wasn't what Janner expected. What do you mean? I know what it feels like to... to lose myself. It's awful. And the worst of it is, I don't know what's happening until it's over. Can you imagine what he would be like if he snapped and turned wild? He's almost as tall as Ood. Ood, not afraid of horseman, the troll said. I know you're not, Kalmar said. But if Cadwick got weird on us and you had to stop him, those little cloven back there would lose the only father they're ever going to have. We only left a few minutes ago, and he was already different. Meaner, or something. I was afraid of him. Janner had to admit that he sensed the change, too. But now that Caddock was gone, the forest seemed like the more frightening enemy. They had a long way to go, and the sun was beginning to set. Fine, let's go, Janner said. Kalmar sniffed the air and pointed. This way, I think. Try to be as quiet as you can. He marched on. Why? Janner asked. Because I can smell five toothy cows nearby. A bunch of cloven, too. Chapter 53 The Angry Ones Attack they spent the night in the boughs of a tree so tall that Janner never saw the top. Though the new leaves were tiny, the tangled branches overhead were dense enough to hide the stars. All through the night, creatures, whether cloven or ordinary wild animals, snuffed and grunted and traipsed about on the ground below them, and more than once something sizable skittered up or down the trunk opposite from where they slept. When morning came, Kalmar gave the air a careful sniffing and warned them to wait as a flock of hapitu, hap, hapitu, oh my goodness, hapitaskleses, hapitaskleses, hapitaskleses grazed, grazed, sorry. A flock of hepitus grazes grazed. I cannot talk. Once they were gone, he sniffed again and indicated that it was safe to climb down. Neither Janner, Kalmar, nor Ood had any idea where they were going, but it was obvious that they were nearing the foothills of the Kildridge, Kildridge Mountains. Every valley was deeper than the last, and they were confronted with increasingly steeper gullies mounted by boulders the size of buildings. Janner's mind raced with entries from Pembroke's Creaturepedia, attentive to any signs that might indicate a Gargan rockroach den or something worse. They ate berries collected along the way, and Cal and Janner used their bows to bag enough flobbits, thwops, and snapping diggles to keep their bellies full. 
Kalmar's heightened sense of smell served them well. He was able to guide them to the east or west to circumvent gobbles of cows and other unidentifiable, beast, unidentifiable beasts in their, in their path. Even Ood was quiet when he needed to be, but his poetry recitals posed a greater threat. The dam had broken with rain and fire, and Ood had flooded them with, a, with troll poems ever since. The boys faked appreciation, but upon hearing the first syllables of troll rhyme, birds and wild animals chattered and brayed and cawed with irritation until the poem mercifully ended. Janner even began to suspect that Kalmar smelled danger only as a pretense to silence Ood's poetry. On the afternoon of their second day in the Blackwood, they encountered the first of the untamed cloven. Untamed and angry, it leapt upon them from a boulder as they climbed out of a ravine. Its legs were long and scaly, but its body and head were one circular blob with hands sticking out of the sides like ears. Its lippy mouth opened wide to bite them, but before its jaws snapped shut, Oot, Ood, dealt it a blow that sent it tumbling in a spray of leaves. It kicked in the air while the fingers of its head hands wriggled about. It seemed to be throwing a fit. As the brothers recovered, the creature calmed down, found its feet, and glared at them from several feet away. Meanies, it said indignantly, then it loped away. It's good to have a troll, Kalmar said with a smile at Ood. If he's your friend, Janner added. Friend, Ood said, and he thumped his chest. You didn't smell that thing coming? Janner asked as they continued their hike. I smelled it, said Kalmar, but I didn't think it would attack. Why not? Cal hesitated. Because I've been smelling them all morning and none have attacked yet. Cloven are everywhere. Maybe they're holding back because of Ood. Janner felt chills as he peered through the forest. Chills because he couldn't see any cloven at all. That they were surrounded, being watched, almost made him wish the cloven would attack and be done with it. How many are there? Kalmar sniffed the air and flattened his ears. About thirty, I think. Maybe more. The farther we walk, the more of them I smell. Getting close? Ood asked as he broke a large dead limb from a tree and swung it like a club. Maybe, Janner said. There could be more cloven near the mouth of the deeps, and if what Cadwick said is true, they'll be wilder. Kalmar stopped in his tracks. Janner, draw your sword. There's one just ahead. Do you see it? Janner slipped his sword from the scabbard and scanned the trees ahead. He saw nothing but forest and more forest. Where? He whispered. To your left. 
From behind an old log, two stems rose, each of which was topped with a greenish orb that blinked. Eyeballs! Padded, frog-like fingers draped themselves over the log so that they looked like vines on ca or caterpillars resting on the rotten wood. Janner had the troubling realization that the thing was about to jump. Then, something crashed into the underbrush behind him. Janner spun. Two hog-pig cloven charged toward him, squealing. Their tusks were black with mold and as long as daggers. Janner swung his sword. His first blow missed, but his second made contact with one of the cloven's front legs. A front leg that ended not in a hog-pig hoof, but a human foot. Ooh roared as he leapt forward and swung his fists, first at Janner's hog-pig, then at the other, which was attacking Kalmar. The eyeball thing behind the log loosed a rumbling gribbit and leapt over the fallen tree. Its body was like a dig toad's, but the spikes sprouting from a coat of luxurious white fur. Oh, a dig toad's, but with spikes sprouting from a coat of luxurious white fur. Janner didn't want to kill it. He knew it had once been human. He knew it probably suffered from the same forgetful madness that haunted Kalmar. But it landed on him. Oh, I'm sorry. Before it landed on him, he hunkered down and raised his sword. The hairy dig toad slammed into him and rolled away with a groan. Janner climbed to his feet and realized his sword was no longer in his hand. He was embedded to the hilt in the dig toad's belly. The cloven's eye stalks twitched on the ground as he gasped for air. The hog peaks were several feet away, one of them crackling to, crackling to dust and the other wounded and struggling to breathe. Ood slowly turned in a circle, braced for any further attack, but none came. Kalmar sheathed the sword and knelt at the dig-toed side. Janner, it's trying to speak. Janner averted his eyes from the wound. <coughs> Excuse me, from the wound he had dealt, and knelt beside Kalmar. He wanted to speak, but the lump in his throat silenced him. Are you a child? A boy? The thing said between breaths. Its voice was gribbity. But there was enough human in it that Janner's sadness grew. The digto took a deep breath and said, I remember. I was a boy once. I know you were, Kalmar said. He placed his hand on the thing's white fur. I was too. I'm sorry. Janner said he wanted to say more, but he had no words. Are you the one who will see the new garden? I don't know, Janner said. I remember now, said the dig toad. Anaria. 
my home. With something like a smile, it stilled and turned to dust. Janner sniffed and shook the dust from his sword before sheathing it. Sheathing it. He said, I'm sorry, again, uselessly. The other hog pig's breath rattled, then it died. Other shapes peeked from behind the trees and boulders, eyes on lumpy faces, all watching him with what he felt was anger and accusation. I don't want to hurt you, Janner said. It was a plea, not a threat. Several cloven whispered and muttered, It's a boy. What's a boy? A young one, like we used to be. I remember. I want to be a boy again. We should kill it. My thoughts hurt. We can't. He might be the seed. Kalmar spoke to the watching eyes in the forest. My name is Kalmar Wingfeather, king of the shining isle of Aneria. Aneria? They whispered. I remember. It hurts. Stop it! The Shining Isle. My mother's name was Nora. Stop it! The voices grew angry, hissing and snapping at the air. Monsters visible, only as shadows and shapes behind the trees. Others, though, stepped forward, cautious and blinking at Janner, as if he were an apparition or a king. One of the angry ones bit the leg of a small, goatish cloven as it approached. Let it go! Janner cried. He ran to the squealing goat thing and pulled it from the jaws of the attacker, which was the most hideous cloven he had ever seen. It was lumpy and legless, like a giant slug, but its man-like face was stretched wide across a black, slimy mass. And every time its mouth flopped open, Janner saw crooked yellow teeth. Get back! All of you, get back! The sluggish thing slimed its way behind a boulder and as several others shrank back to their hiding places. The little goat thing in Janner's arms stilled once it was free and turned its face to his. Its eyes were bright blue like cows and it was impossible to deny that the soul that lived to deny the soul that lived inside of it. I think my name was Ellen. That sounds right. Ellen. But I'm afraid to remember more than that. Ellen the goat cloven trembled, then brayed and wriggled out of Janner's arms. It, she, landed on the ground and ran in mad circles as the slug thing laughed nearby. The other cloven joined in with crazed laughter and animal calls. It was like feeding time in a barn, but with human sounds mixed and with racket. Listen, Kalmar called. 
Quiet! The cloven calmed down and whispered amongst themselves again as Kalmar stepped forward. My father was Esben, king of Aniria. Do you remember Aniria? A few answered, Yes. But some howled and scampered away. Whatever you've done, I need your help. We need to get to the deeps of Throg. Do you understand? We need to find Nag. At that time, the forest grew deathly still. Will you take us to the deeps? After a long pause, some of the cloven lurched into view and beckoned for them to follow. Kalmar and Janner looked at one another with apprehension that joined, then joined the odd procession through the Blackwood. Okay, next chapter is called The Pain of Remembrance. The Pain of Remembrance. But we're going to save that for tomorrow night. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word in Matthew. Please bless your word and the lessons in your word to our hearts and help, help your word and your lessons become part of who we are. And may your precious word always be on the end of our tongue to speak. Help the kids to get good sleep. I pray that your angels that, that surround them, their, in, their, their angels would be strengthened and reinforced and guide the kids um, in part into righteousness and surrender to you, Lord Jesus, and uh, humility towards you, Lord Jesus, and that that would all, that would all uh, please you, Father. Okay. We love you, Lord, and we ask all these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Night-night, kiddos. Time for Daddy to go to bed. Love you.